Yes, this is another episode and you are extremely welcome uh, and thank you for joining me, my uh, little butterfly. <laughs> I'm, uh, okay, I'm, I'm just, ouch, I just hit my elbow on the almost funny bone. Not really funny, is it? But I'm quickly going to talk about, I know I spoke about the CUNY and the entire uh, royal family last time, but I was just thinking about Charles, right? And um, the poor guy has a three after his name, the third, in fact. It's not even three. It's not like a three, like Roman numeral three. It's like the third. Like he's always got this reminder that he wasn't the first. Uh, he was not even the second, but he was the third. Unless, of course, there are many other Charleses, right? There were Charles, the Charlemagne, that's uh, another, the original Charles. Or maybe there was an original Charles way before. Maybe it was Charles the Brown from... Uh, Peanut, where, where was Charlie Brown? I forget. Snoopy, Charlie Brown. I don't know if you guys remember that. Maybe. Even I don't remember that. Why do I bring up things I'm not really, really vividly remember in my tenacious memory? But uh, Charles III, uh, Elizabeth II, third. I, in one way, do you think it's good? I, I believe, I don't know which number of Sandeep I am. But in that family, he's the third. In that lineage, is he the third? Or is he the third as far as they remember that they, when they started counting because maybe there were 3,000 Charles and they're like, maybe you should keep a track of this in this family because I just feel everyone and everyone else has the same name. Like here's Uncle Charles, here's Cousin Charles, here's Father Charles, here's Son Charles, here's Grandson Charles. So it became too many to keep track of. They said, let's just number it. And I don't get it. Uh, how hard is it to come up with a different name? Or maybe they just should have come up with different spellings like what people do now for numerology and astrology, right? They're like, Charles spelled with an X. Ex Charles or Charles spelled with, with 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 an you know numerical or well, ah even better with the tilde sign with with something modern instead of just going out with the same numbering system uh, or would it be like oh you know I know exactly how many Charles's were there before me but I don't think it's across the world I don't think it's across dynasties I don't think it's across monarchies I think just in his kind of naming circle he's the third and that pretty much sucks because. What if we have like a registry of all the names given to all the people uh, and time memorial? Is that right? In time memorial? Uh, I don't know. I, I shouldn't use these things, uh, these adages or, uh, that I don't really know uh, for sure how to say it. Time in memoriam. Ah, time in memoriam? Memorial. Eh, I think time in memoriam. Yeah, I think that sounds right. In time in memoriam. Memoriam? Memorial, memorial, fuck it, dude, who cares? You get it, right? Like for as far as we can remember. So if every name was documented, say your name is like Shanti, it's probably like Shanti the sixth, because it, I mean, think about it. We have 7 billion people now, but as far as we've got counting, a lot more people have died. So maybe you're Shanti the nine, fifteen billion, Shanti the billionth. Ah, that sounds good. I, li I wouldn't mind being Sandeep the Trillionth. It just rhymes. Then it's a third. Like, man, have some pride. Like, no one else thought of that name. So that's one way of looking at it. Like, fuck, your name's so stupid. Only three people had it. Or your name is so cool that 15 trillionth of the world had it. Like, it can go back to almost 200 million years ago when you, the first Sandeep, was on fours uh, with a tail eating a banana. Uh, and then the next Sandeep who tracked that uh, moved to kind of just uh, like fours, but I'm going to go a little more uh, squattish, kind of wide squats, 
kind of work on the glutes, kind of the ACL tendon, kind of IT band area. Let's kind of work on that and sort of extend the hamstrings a little bit. Let's test out what these limbs are for. Because I look like a bit of a fool in these selfies when I'm just sitting there eating a banana, scratching my ass, eating dandruff or eating lice or whatever I'm portrayed to eat. So this Sandeep is going to benefit from my learning and then he's going to be a little bit more less for the more crouchy Sandeep. So let's call him Crouchy Sandeep. And the next Sandeep came along. And all these are like 100,000 years apart, right? Like, because that's how evolution works. And the next Sandeep was like, oh, cool. Look at this. A fucking idiot is hunched over. He's got like a really weird posture. I'm going to work on my posture. I'll be Sandeep the posture. And then uh, he stood upright. He believed in standing up for all his fellow people. And then... Then he got a bunch of other people together, his flock, and then he said, the next person's going to control this flock. And the next Sandeep became Sandeep the pastor. So from posture, we went to pastor. That was prepared. Huh? It was just, and I was saying posture, I said, the next Sandeep has to be a pastor. You know, we skipped like almost 200, 198 million years because before religion came. But fuck you, this is my podcast. Who's, who's going to correct that? Hey, chronological error. Then the Sandeep from, first Sandeep who stood up and then became a man who stands up to the poster, you know where this is going, to the pastor, and then from the poster to the pastor to the podcaster, to the stand-up. That's today, that's me. So maybe I'm 15 trillionth, Sandeep. Sandeep the trillionth. Yeah, pleasure to meet you, my friend. Time in memoriam. Don't keep fucking saying things you don't know. Yeah, I shouldn't. But it works on me. It's like an itch on my testy, which I can't scratch, but I want to keep scratching at it because it's just nice to do. And it's one of those habits that human beings do. When you see something which you can't change, you keep trying to fucking change it. When you know it's wrong, you keep going at it. That's what we are dumb fuckly popular for as humans. Yeah. it's You know, you're drawn to it. You're drawn to it. You're drawn to accidents, you're drawn to mistakes, you keep repeating them. You're drawn to things that are not good about you. You're drawn to a mole on the chin, you're drawn to an extra large, eh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what life's about. So time in memoriam, I'm going to keep saying it because you say it long enough, you say something wrong long enough, you, yeah, that rhymes. You say something wrong long enough, it becomes truth, it becomes right. Yeah. Sandeep the Trillionth, here on the Soapy Dao Show, first of his name. 14th of his lineage, 15th of his career, 150th of his gym subscription, 190th of his go-karting journey, uh, 230th of his token at the doctors, 260th at the golf tournament, 300th at the wedding registrars, 400th at the passport office, and first in his in his std clinic yes that is the guy that's exactly the guy you're talking about how did you know it was him i was talking about it's one of those things right when you're talking to people and they're like do you know this guy i know exactly this guy how do we know it how do we know that that's the guy and it turns out to be the guy but we just have this intuition that that's the guy that commonly we have agreed without agreeing and establishing and vocalizing that that's the guy. So if it's not the guy, you still will say that's the guy because you don't look wrong when you're talking to this person because you're like, yeah, that's the guy. You mean you mean you you, you mean Rajneesh? Yeah, that's the guy, Rajneesh. Which Rajneesh? That's fucking some Rajneesh. That's the problem with not numbering your names, with not having the fifteenth trillion, Sandeep the trillionth, or Sandeep the. F- 
billion point nine before trillion. I mean, that makes it very specific. And I think that's why we haven't kept a registrar or registry of all the names in time immemorial. Because we will then be called out on our faffing abilities on our calling, called out on our bullshit. Because someone will be like, you mean Rajneesh the 64th? I don't know. No, I was thinking just Rajneesh. Yeah. Can you say Rajneesh? Yeah, I know Rajneesh. Yeah, yeah, of course. Osho. No, no, no. You know Osho? Yeah, I knew Osho. Yeah. But if you are specific, then there's very less margin for fucking around. Yeah, I was going to talk about... Uh, People getting struck by lightning in India. But I think this was interesting. Mm. See where Charles takes us. He leads us even in his name. Third in that. Bronze. They should call him Charles the Bronze. <laughs> Charles Bronze. Yes. Charles Bronze. Camilla led. Hey, that, that's funny. Charles had to lead, but he led. Uh, but his wife led. And uh, yeah, see where fucking connections, the synapses are firing, firing away. Uh, yeah, but I, um, yeah, man, I think we need to figure out something, but I'm sure we'll figure it out. My guest on today's episode, ladies and gentlemen, that's a great segue, is Jill Shearer Murray. Yes, a lovely lady who talks about letting go. Exactly. She talks about the idea the power behind taking a step back. In fact, taking a jump back. Like one small step jump back. One small jump back for mankind is a huge leap. Yeah, of faith. But no, the idea of letting go. Now, it's something that you uh, and I and a lot of us are terrified of doing because it's going away from the familiar. It's going away from the, the thing that you're comfortable with, the thing that you are certain about and it's about venturing forth into the unknown it's about taking that plunge it's about taking that one step into the dark room yeah okay i'm not gonna be dramatic about it anyway so jill shiramari she's got a book called big wild love the i think the unstoppable power of letting go i think i might have got the tagline wrong i'm sorry jill if you're listening to this but uh, i think it's right could be wrong i think it could be right could be wrong that was my i don't know not sure. Anywho, so it's a fun conversation about Jill's journey of how she got to this place, started letgoforit.com and the various experiences that shaped her perspective. Uh, she's an influencer. She's a coach. I think she's a great coach because it's sometimes you get a vibe when a person is really eager and and it's natural the way they kind of talk about what they really care about. And it's a nice vibe that you get from Jill on this uh, episode. Uh, she's, of course, a TEDx speaker. And she's an author. Hey, yeah, how cool is that? Now, um, you can, of course, go check out all her work on the website. You can check out her book. But listen to this. Hey, it's right here. Listen to this. And you'll have a fun time. You can... Enjoy the conversation with Jill Shira Murray and myself, Sandeep the Trillionth. And um, basically, what are you holding on to? That movie Frozen had it much more profound than they knew. And as the Demi Lovato, the 15th said, let it go.
All right. Enjoy. Till next time. Take care. Cheers. Catch you on the other side. Jill Shera Murray, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Sandeep? I'm doing great. I after I said your middle name, I forgot what your last name was for a second. That's why the pause. <laughs> I was like the three names. I like it. <laughs> I like to keep people on their toes. You know, I like I, to have yeah. as many complicated names as possible. <laughs> hey, it yeah, took because... me a long time to get those three names. It's interesting that, uh, you know, the, 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 there are some people, there are some cultures that um, keep three names. There are some cultures that have much more and then there's son of, daughter of and mother of. It's, it's so many things. And um, yeah, it's, it's such a strong attachment we have to our names, right? Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because we're talking about this whole idea of letting go on today's episode. And you believe strongly in that and you help a lot of people overcome certain inhibitions and certain conditioning that they've grown up and they're sort of taught to uh, live according to as a result of being, um, you know, products of our society. But in, in when it comes to this attachment, um, whether it's in India, whether it's right now you're, you're living in America and there's, there's such a strong cultural attachment, right? And when it comes, especially now with the conversation of pronouns and the conversation around that, what is your, I, I don't know if that's even a place to start with names, but um, I, I don't know how powerful is that kind of, of construct because there's a Christian name in your case or a, in, in the case of many Christian countries, or in my case, there's a certain name that your parents give you. I mean, of course, parents give the names to the kid, but then you have the family name, then you have the you know, maternal name. So what does that mean to you? And what is that sort of, in your experience, um, does that create a sense of identity, which is very difficult to overcome? That is such a good question. I honestly have to tell you, I've never really thought that hard about it. I mean, mm. I know that I like, I, I feel like, um, you know, our name obviously is our identifier from the time we're born mm. until the time, you know, we're out of here. And I, I know that I don't like when people misspell my name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so if I think about that, like, obviously, it means something to to me and probably to all of us. Um, but I never really thought that hard about it. I mean, I guess as my parents are getting older, like Shearer is my maiden name. And mm. I think about, you know, my father getting older, he's 88. And, mm. You know, when he's not here anymore, what happens to that name? Um you know, where does it go? My brother has two daughters. I don't know if they'll carry the name. I don't have any children. So I'm not right. passing the name along other. I mean, I'm passing it along to my dogs, but you know, that doesn't really, count, doesn't really count along yeah. with many other things that I'm passing along to my dogs. I mean, I wish we um, could, right? Pass I, along. <laughs> Just... I, I, I wish they lived super long enough I know, to be able man, to do I that. Really... And then they could like, figure out all the important financial decisions and whatnot. Appear in court, um, settling the will. Go, yeah, woof, woof. That, <laughs> that would be amazing, actually. Yeah. That would be just amazing. With you have ball. to wonder, like, what would happen to, like, our society if dogs were able to do that? I have to wonder. But well, um, just the idea of having a paw on the Bible, taking an oath is cute enough uh, for no further. <laughs> it's, right. It's it's good enough for me on a Tuesday morning. I know it's I know it's afternoon, almost beer time for you, but it's good enough for me. But yeah. I, I, I also feel like, you know, it took me such a long time to get married and, like, acquire that third name that I feel, you know, I don't – the word proud isn't, isn't – um, the right word. I guess I just feel 
like, I don't know, this is who I am. I'm Jill Shearer Murray. I'm a person mm. who, you know, loves my father and loves my husband and likes to throw people, trip people around with my middle name. And it's just who I am. I guess there is a part of it that, um, that I really identify with. Yeah. yeah, you know the way yeah. the couple of things. Yeah, I mean, first of all, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I started off. I started off with. <laughs> great, um, it's great. <laughs> and you must know this about me. On this, I think people listening do already know this. I ask um, questions which aren't really questions, and I ask so many things that I forget what the initial intention of that particular thought was, and I interrupt a lot. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's that's awesome. Good. We're going to get Go along really it. well. Go for it. Go for it. You know, the Only reason why I thought about this name thing, Ajil, is because, you know, I, my wife and I have a, a, a just about a four month old baby girl now. And yeah, she's she's That's adorable. Nice. Yeah. What's she's, her name? Her name is Shasa Thanisi Rao. So Beautiful. Her first name Shasta, middle name is Tanisi, and Rao is uh, my family name. But that's what got me thinking, right? Because a lot of people now, uh, especially like women in India, aren't taking the husband's name. So they keep either their mm. father's name uh, or their father's family name. Or mm -hmm. another thing which is strange is they take their husband's first name, which is just sounds a bit mm. weird. Um, so I was just thinking, you know, it was, a, it was a matter of like, as you mentioned, right? Like you get a little... I wouldn't say offended, but a little annoyed if someone mis mispronounced or misspelt your name. And that's that's sort of where the thought came from when, you know, uh, I was thinking, should I be more firm about my roots and pass it on to my, my daughter so she knows where she comes from? And then she, when she gets or if she gets married or whatever the situation is, she sort of holds my name and that way my my kind of thing. Then I was like, it's it's again this idea of uh, and especially with the work you do with women uh, and we'll get into that in a little later. but. What what is this thing that 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 the ego holds on to when it comes to me and I and mine, when even with something as trivial as a name or not, if it's maybe not your name, but this need to pass on something of yours through your descendants or through the kids or through their kids, and and that's something which. Um, you know, while it seems so petty, it's things like that which also reflects an in inheritance in 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 uh, disputes as a result. With with um, you know, you have all these various things where you have land disputes, you have will disputes, and I'm I'm just using the name as a sort of entry point into this conversation. Is people are so attached by this, and in the as a result, forget about the family ties, the more profound relationships, and they end up fighting over things like money and values and possession, and it all comes from. Well, maybe the name is just uh, an idea, but it is so important for people, right? And similarly, if you want to extend that beyond a family context, it's also that where I'm from, the country, the region, the nationality, the national pride. And that's where we are today. We're seeing this you versus me. It's mine, it's yours, it's ours, it's theirs kind of thing, right? Well, first of all, I think <clears throat> a lot of our attachment to our name and as you're talking and mm -hmm. thinking about it is that we want to be seen. Yeah, that we we want to be seen, you know, so I think, I think a lot of the ego stuff comes from the deep need for us to a be seen, and feel like we matter. Yeah, you know, feel like we, we matter to the people we love, we matter to the world, you know, all those existential questions of what are we leaving behind? You know, what happens to me if I'm not included? You know, there's a whole fear component in there, right? Like, mm. if, if, if this is mine, 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 then that is not coming from a place of love. That's coming from a place of fear. That's coming from a place of lack and scarcity. Like, 
there's not going to be enough for us, or I don't matter, or you don't see me, um, or I'm not being valued. And so I do think, you know, as you're talking, and I'm thinking about it, there is an element of all of those things. And, you know, I see all of those things in, in the people that I talk to, um, when it comes to why we hold on, we grip on so tightly mm. because we don't feel those things. We don't feel like we matter. We don't feel like we're being seen. We don't feel like we have choices. We don't feel like we're living in a space of abundance and love. We feel like, you know, we got to hold on to these things, even if they're not right for us, they're, they're mm. something and, and they're owed to us. Um, and that's how we yeah. get that kind of attention. And it's really the letting go of all of those things, the letting go of the scarcity mentality or, you know, the letting go of needing to be seen by others. Because really where that comes from is that we're not really looking at ourselves. We're not honoring ourselves. We're not, you know, loving and understanding ourselves. And that's really is an interesting way for you to take me into this conversation, <laughs> but it's... <laughs> No, it wasn't planned because I was just thinking, uh, you know, it's so right. important to start the podcast by introducing the guest um, with obviously pronouncing their name right. Because if you butcher it, then it's sort of, it, it's it's sort of, I wouldn't say it starts the conversation on a negative tone, but it's it's something that people could really kind of, you know, it, it, it's a stepping stone in the right direction when you get it right. Because there's so many things, um, if you if you say it wrong, then it it reflects on your maybe lack of awareness that, oh, this person doesn't know how to pronounce a name, right? Like if you go pronounce a, a, a Spanish name like Jose, they're like, oh, this guy's an ignorant villager kind of thing, right? right. So it's, it's right. all those connotations that come along with it, which I'm fascinated by when I sit and talk to people from around the world. For me, it's not about seeming like I know as much or seem like, seem, seeming like I'm a worldly person. It's just that these, these kind of things are also represented in a very stereotypical way when it comes to the mainstream media, right? You have uh, the media having um, certain, I wouldn't say biases, but certain ways in portraying a certain culture, a certain group. But on an individual level, which we do here on, uh, as you and I are talking, is that I get to know you as an individual who's an American, who's a, who's a woman, who's married, who has this certain name slash names given to her. And that's my way of understanding the world is through individuals as opposed to broad brushstrokes. So that's why I was just thinking it's such a, and since you talk about such an, a powerful tool of letting go, um, I thought, yeah, what, what's this idea of attachment, which uh, we sort of kind of squeeze onto and hold on to so tight. And, and that's sort of the beginning of letting go, right? Because uh, it, the letting go is, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a thing that can go across your the things you do in your life from, you know, letting go of grudges or letting go of um, an argument, which, you know, can escalate or letting go of a habit or letting go of a certain um, thing in your life, which could be trivial or it could be the most important thing. But it's that first step, right? And as you let go of a smaller thing, the harder, the bigger things get easier. And, and so I want you to also maybe um, talk, talk to people listening right now about the idea and how you got to the space of uh, letting go and maybe how that um, initial sort of phase was for you and how it's it's kind of evolved and helped you over the course of the years that since, since you discovered it? Okay. Well, yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, 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 yeah, you, can, you can ignore all of okay, it and we can just good. talk about like burgers or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. 
I love yeah. how you, first of all, I have to, I have to acknowledge this. I love how you bring up the idea of attachment because I think, um, I think so many people are very confused about what it actually means to let go. And I hear from a lot of people where they think letting go is really about, um, it's about accepting, like finding their way to accept a bad situation or something that's not really serving them, or Mm. it's about um, coping or even giving up. And it's not any of those things. I mean, letting go is really about true detachment. Yeah. And, you know, we're never done letting go. I mean, Mm. if you were to say to me right now, like, Jill, how many things do you need to let go of? I would be like, well, I'm still alive. So I have plenty of things to let go of. And, you know, constantly a work in progress. And I think, um, and I think if we're living our lives, and we're, you know, taking on bold challenges, and we're allowing ourselves to do new things in life, um, or ride above our fears, or our limiting beliefs, then we are always going to need to let go. There's just never going to be a time where that is going, there's going to be like, end, conquered this, done letting go. Now I'm going to move on with life. And I, you know, I learned that when I didn't even realize I was learning that. Mm. Um, because, you know, really we're letting go all of our lives as we are children and babies and we come up and we're toddlers and we go into our teen years and then we leave our parents. And so we're constantly letting go, but we're not, we're kind of doing it on autopilot. We're not really processing it as, oh, I'm letting go of this now. It's just something that we arrive at. And I think, you know, I think that's what happened to me. Uh, you know, the scenario that I talk about in my book, in my TED talk around leaving this long-term relationship that I was in for 12 years with, Mm. you know, this wonderful man that I truly loved and realizing that, you know, he was never going to give me the, the marriage and the commitment and the deeper relationship that I really wanted. And it was very hard for me to let go of that for a very long time, even though I knew in my heart of hearts, that would be the outcome that it would never get me to where I wanted to go. And to understand that that my dissatisfaction with that situation really had very little to do with him at a certain point. It was really about me and me not honoring myself and not being willing to look at the reasons why I was staying and why I was choosing it and where all of that was coming from. And there was an event that happened where he didn't show up and it was very hard for me to look away from the, from the facts of the situation, which were no matter how long I stayed, how, how accommodating I got, how thin I got, how pretty I got, how, you know, hard I worked to be the perfect partner. Um, all the things that I thought I needed to do again, not coming from him coming from my, me. Once I woke up to the fact that this was going to be it, it was going to be either him or me, who was I going to choose? That was when the beginning of my conscious journey with letting go really started, which is when I understood what I really needed to do to be able to kind of reclaim myself and then be Mm. able to reclaim the life that I wanted. And it's a hard epiphany. I talk about it as epiphanies in my book, which I find truly fascinating, Um, you know, because unless and until we're able to arrive at those epiphanies that we need to now make a choice and you know, I called my book Big Wild Love because everybody that I talked to in the research, they weren't talking to me. Their struggle was not letting go. Their struggle was understanding what was keeping them stuck and being able to look at themselves and really ask those hard questions and find their way to self-understanding and self-love 
So they knew if I cultivated this, which I call big wild love, if I, once I have this, I will, I will let go every day because I know I'll be okay. All the things we started out with, right? I know there's abundance in the world. I can be afraid, but also know I'll be okay because I have me. Um, I know I matter. I don't need the outside world and convention to tell me, hey, you've been with this guy for 12 years. If you don't, if he doesn't marry you, you don't, you're not worth that much. Or you just took 12 years, like that's 12 years of investment in a 401k and threw it into the river. Like bad you or, you know, convention saying, you know, you've made this investment, you've got to stay and do whatever no, when you come yeah, from that Yeah, and also I'm place, sure there's this aspect of 12 years of my life, it's those years which I'll never get back. That's a lot of people say that, right? Absolutely. But you know, okay, not everybody's a Dr. Phil lover, and I'm not necessarily either, but he does say one thing that really- Hey, he's cool. I, always, I like the guy. <laughs> I always, always stuck with me, which is, you know, you know how long it is to be in a bad, you know how long it is the to be in a bad situation, I'm, I'm messing this up, but it's only like 12 years and one day is too long. Like, mm. you know, it's like 12 years. Okay. Accept, accept yeah. that reality. There yeah. they are. Were they a total waste? Never. No. I don't think, I, I don't think any of these things are a waste people, the way they make it out to be in such a, right. because the thing is like, Oh, it's years. You'll never get back. But the point is, I think that's something I'd like to sort of cover with you is people never acknowledge how, these moments and it's amazing how you kind of took that step it's uneasy i mean when in hindsight you can always talk about it but in that moment it's scary right because you feel uh, that you're, you're never going to find someone else or you're going to who am i because and that's something i find amazing about these situations whether it's walking away from something that you know is not good for you inherently but you're not doing it because of fear of judgment or fear of being alone or um fear of um you know, being kind of shunned from that particular familiar environment that you kind of relied on. So they, they, these things, but if you actually look at it and um, understand it for what it is, it really teaches you about yourself because these are those moments where you actually are faced to the real, um, I wouldn't say your the revelation or something so dramatic, but it is those moments when, which you kind of only recognize when you look back, but in that moment you kind of say, oh my God, it's the worst thing in my life. and um, but I think those are those true kind of anchors in your roadmap in life, which which can either send you in a very different direction if you decide to take this path or the other path, right? And I want to mm -hmm. also talk to you about this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really interested to know where, um, you know, because I'm in my, I'm going to be 40 this year and I've always been sort of sold this idea of a relationship, right? Like you have to have multiple partners, you have to be cool, you have to impress ladies, you have to wear these clothes, you have to have a certain kind of bank balance, you have, and for me, of course, since I'm visually impaired, I couldn't drive, I couldn't pick up ladies on my scooter or my motorcycle or my car, which I'm, I'm glad I couldn't because that would be two more obituaries in the newspaper. But, but what's, what's amazing is we're in a time where we're the most connected we've ever been as human beings, uh, especially yes. youngsters now dating or finding each other, finding their sexuality. Mm -hmm. You have so much accommodation to be yourself, right? Whether it's you want to be gay, you're gay. I mean, if you're gay, you come out. It's easy or whatever. Not easy, but it's more accepted than when, say, in the 90s. Or if you want to be someone who's gender fluid, you want to transition. Everything seems to be more accepted. But I feel, at least as an outsider looking into this right now, because I'm, 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 I've been married for the past it'll be seven years this year. And my wife and I 
were friends and then we got we were dating then we got married but we truly sort of got to know each other when we started truly accepted and got to know ourselves because i feel there's this sense that you are so connected you can like when you can do long distance and you can constantly facetime someone you never feel sort of separated without like writing a post letter to them and saying i miss you and and but mm -hmm. it's it's almost like i mean i want you to talk about this i i'm just putting my presumptions on this idea but i feel people aren't really listening to each other and they have this sense that I don't know they know everything they know what it is they know this they say the right things they're so sensitive and they they sort of believe in this idea of equality equity diversity and but none of it is being felt it's just being said well you know i mean first of all i think we are utterly assaulted by information every day yeah. and i think you know because because we've been living in this world for such a long time, and especially with COVID now, because we've been isolated, we've been, you know, far more online than we've ever been before. You know, we've lost, I think we've lost, in some ways we're more connected than ever, but in some ways we're more disconnected than ever. Yeah. Because yeah. there is something that happens when we're together physically. Like I... I honor and appreciate this opportunity to talk to you in India right now while I'm here in my little old office outside of Philadelphia, PA, um, and so many others that I've had just the great pleasure to meet and talk to. But I think in a dating situation, it has to be complicated because there are, there are intangible, invisible things that happen to us when we're in the same space together. I mean, I think that happens actually in business and in, and in a lot of different ways, and we've lost... So much of that. And now we have this whole generation that's kind of coming up, these digital natives who don't really know, you know, how to have that deeper concentration, that deeper connection, mm. uh, because there's so much coming at us all the time. And, you, you know, it's so interesting, Sandeep, like sometimes I talk, I'll talk to my parents who are in their 80s now, but, you know, my father will say things like, everyone's so busy. Everyone's so busy. We were busy. Everyone's so busy. And I'll say, dad, you didn't have this. And I hold up my phone where you are literally connected 24 hours a day, seven days yeah. a week, you're expected to be there. There are shots of like flashing lights coming at you of information all day long from all these devices, from the TV, from the radio, the podcasts, the, the, the real life, the, it's just the, I mean, it's crazy. And I yeah. think, um, I think it has affected our brains mm. on some level where we're very distracted we're very distracted, so it's very hard to get to a place of focus with one another. Um, and I and I do think that it can be very overwhelming and very confusing for people, and especially people who are not grounded in that self understanding that I talk about. If you're not grounded in those things, where you can pull back and say, "I need something different from this," or "I need something deeper now," or "I need to go here," like understand. And I'm not talking about you know, I, I, I as a construct of being selfish or being narcissistic or, you know, but it's like, we don't have any time to think or process or even think about who we are or, you know, whether we belong to this particular pronoun or this, or what yeah. that means for us, or whether we have the courage or the grounding to be able to choose and, and live inside of the truth whether it meets the 
needs of the external voices in our life or convention, but what is really, really, um, really meant for us. And I think we lose, we've lost a lot of that, that ability to sit and process and really think about who we are and not allow ourselves to be locked into a bucket because, you know, life changes, we change, situations change. That's, that's all part of the beauty and horror of life. You know, it's like, yeah, no, just when... so we think we've got it all figured out. Something happens that changes us. And we need to be present to let it do that with the grounding and the confidence that we'll be okay if we change. It's okay if we change. That's part of the reason we're here. I mean, it's inevitable, right? I think that's the saddest part. It's inevitable. We want to hold on to the best parts and we want to only the bad parts to move away from us. And it never happens in that way. And, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's so important, I feel to sometimes be wrong, to to feel like yes. shit about something, to say, you know Absolutely. what, it's, I'm, I'm insecure. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to lose my partner. I don't know if she's going to find someone better. And I remember when, you know, my when my wife and I were first dating, she was in New York, right? We were doing long, long distance. And I was terribly insecure that, you know, she's, she's many, many thousands of miles away. I'm sitting here. I'm this visually impaired, just starting out comedian i have really nothing going on and she's in the world's sort of hub of the coolest dudes in the world new york city manhattan and yeah. all these thoughts like yeah. every, every night she's with a cool guy and i mean that was in a way disrespectful because i didn't give her credit for choosing to be with me right but i had this narrative going on but for and, and you know when i would go on facebook i would see her page and i would just constantly kind of, and i wasn't that young i mean i was not uh, uh, as you call a digital native but it's still it's still bombards your brain and really makes it mushy uh, with all these negative thoughts. And if you have an insecure thought, that loop makes it 10 times worse. But as a result, like I remember talking to a friend, it got pretty bad. And he said, man, you know, you can only be, you know, who you are, nothing more, nothing less. And if it right. doesn't work, if it doesn't work in that context, it's not, it doesn't, it's not going to work out. You can't shape yourself to be every man out there. You can't pretend to be right. less than. Yeah, and that's I found that so important because right now I feel if you're in a relationship and you say the wrong thing, instead of facing that problem, or if you're more insecure, it's easier to run to a group of people who'll celebrate you online just by using the right hashtag or using the right kind of whiny victim card going, oh, look at me, she doesn't love me because I'm blind and 100 people online will celebrate you, which is total bullshit because you'll still be as miserable, but you'll feel good for five seconds because there are so-called people who support you. You know, look, here's the here's the thing that I tell people, you know, so I have a TED talk. It has it's working its way up to five million views. When can you, you, can are you send, send a few for my comedy video, send a few views along. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Just well, a few mil. Nobody, nobody is more surprised than me about that. But my point is, that's amazing. when you yes. have, you know, and you know this when you're online, people have their opinions. Yeah. And so I remember I did a social media post once where there was a comment from someone who was like, this video changed my life. Yeah. And then there was a comment right underneath it that said, this was the greatest waste of 11 minutes yeah. I ever had. And my point when I put them together and I posted them and I said, nobody else defines you. Yeah. Not even the good stuff. Yeah. If you're going online, if you're going elsewhere, because you feel like you've done something wrong or you feel like there's a hard conversation that you're having or you're on the precipice of losing something valuable and you need to go for that quick hit of deep dopamine of approval and like from somewhere else, you are doing it wrong. 
Because yeah. no, this, this does not come. This is so important to me to say, Sandeep, because this is the hardest thing for people. It was for me, there's no judgment here, but nobody else defines us. We are who we are. You know, we yeah. are who we are and we need to rejoice in that. And we need to love all those parts of ourselves. We can't let the people who say, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread define mm. us the same way we can't let the people who say that was such a big stupid waste of my time yeah, define yeah. us only we get to do that so if the people that we're dating or the people that we want so badly to be part of our lives aren't are either showing signs that they're not interested or not meeting our needs it's like i say to women all the time you're so focused on meeting the other person's needs are they meeting yours what about you do you like them? Are you getting back? Because if you don't have that grounding, it's that grounding in your situation, your friend, what a wonderful friend to say that to you because it is Oh, we don't truth. talk anymore. It's fine. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I'm screw joking. him then. <laughs> no, I'm joking. A hex on him. No, no, he's fine. But, <laughs> he's, he's a close friend. But, but, you know, I mean, that's the thing is like, we are who we are and we want people, we, we're not, we don't have to be perfect to be loved. Yeah. We don't have to always say the right thing, always look a certain way, always be a certain person. We should be able to be, you know, sad and crying and snotty and have a cold and have COVID and look terrible and gain weight and lose weight and have a pimple. Like, and that person still loves us. That is, that is what we're looking for because we are worthy and we know that and we know that if that person is not going to be there through those things then i wish you i wish you the best i wish you well i hope you find what you're looking for but it's not me bye bye you know i find that very interesting that you mentioned that right because of course uh, there's a lot of compromise right because when two individuals in whatever scenario whether it's just two guy friends or two girlfriends meet there's a lot of stuff which has been formed over the years of over the course of that relationship right there are a lot of narratives subconsciously which have formed there are certain traits in you traits in that other person that kind of manifest and shape your relationship and uh, some are healthy some are toxic some are good and of course many times no one's perfect so there as long as the positives are more than the quirks or the negatives you kind right. of are close friends or not and also in certain phases in your life you have certain friends who are closer etc these things change but what I don't get is this, and this is again something you said, um, this, there's this way you've been told to have someone to grow old with. Um, and it's portrayed through popular media, right? Like your life partner, that, that person you grow old with, or that person, you know, you go um, walks on the beach with, or whatever is that romantic idea. But I, I just want to understand because you talk to so many women um and, and 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 this desperation to kind of be accepted by a man and let's just talk about a heterosexual or whatever couple it may be it's to be accepted by someone so where so is that need more as a human need to belong to a person or belong to a unit a smaller um, which which can obviously uh, then result in procreation and children etc or is this this one person you can call as my the person on my team. So where does it come from? This need to have a, as they call it now, partner, because earlier it was husband or wife, but now, of course, there are more 
broader options, you know? So I just want to understand, I mean, and, and because, because you are a woman and you help so many women, where does it come from, especially for women in the 20, sort of 22 we're sitting in? I mean, <clears throat> well, first of all, I think it comes from biology. Mm. I mean, I think we are biologically hardwired to procreate. We can't do that on ourselves by ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, so I think, you know, if you think biologically about, you know, the behaviors of men and women, I mean, men are, you know, biologically hardwired to hunt and gather and yeah. women are biologically wired to, you know, nurture and, and, and take care. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think, I think those things are real inside of us and I don't think they have anything to do with our character or a weakness in our, on our part. I just think, you know, we are biologically hardwired for certain things and mating and partnership is one of them. And because right. we have such different roles and, you know, we take them on. Um, I also think, you know, of course we have, you know, whatever we learned from our, our, our primary, you know, our childhood, our parents, our primary influences, what they taught us to believe about ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. Unless we actually thought, well, you know, I was taught to believe I'm not pretty enough or I'm too fat or I'm, you know, <clears throat> never going to find or I'm never going to be, you know, what everyone else, you know, thinks I should be or have or convention or all those things. Then there's there are those limiting beliefs that live inside of us. And unless we look at them and say, you know what, I refute that limiting belief. That's not true. Yeah. Just because someone told me that. And then, and then we go out into the world and acting on those limiting beliefs, we make choices that reinforce those beliefs, even though we have no idea that we're doing that because we're just totally subconsciously making choices. It's until we actually wake up to the conscious fact that we are letting those subconscious beliefs drive us and make a shift, do the work required to turn those limiting beliefs into more empowering beliefs that serve us. Um, then we're going to go out into the world and feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm supposed to have this, but I was told that I'm not good enough to have this. So I better hurry up and get it. And if I have something and it's terrible and it doesn't meet me, it doesn't matter because I got it. Even though someone told me that I didn't deserve it, look at me, I got it. Um, and I, you know, I think again, like social media, you know, we're not even talking about the movies anymore. Like people are on social media and they are presenting this curated life that yeah. is just not real. And it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure. Like I, you know, sometimes I feel really, I really feel um, a lot of empathy for younger people who are coming up in this, you know, trying to find their grounding in life and who they are, trying to find their own big wild love. And here they are online looking at all of these, you know, images of, curated images of people having this perfect life and it's just not true so now we're holding ourselves up to that standard that if we don't have those things there must be some something deficient in us or defective in us and so you know the desperation deepens and i think and you know the word desperation is really a really bad word but it's accurate right it's like we start to feel kind of panicked like i know over my 12 years, I started to have those feelings, certainly for myself, as I was watching all of my friends go from having no partner to then having a partner to then getting married and having families all while I am like stuck in this one space. And it took me a long time 
to, like I said, stop looking outward for why I was stuck in that space and instead stop and say, you know, I can really click my heels and go home anytime I choose. No one has me like shackled to a, a chair or a cement block in my house. I mean, I can say this is not right for me anymore, but I can't, I can't ever do that unless I have that grounding that tells me I am worth the things I want and they're possible for me and I can choose them. I can choose them. And until I can do that, I will, will never let go. Never. I can give you the greatest process in the whole world. Um, but it's really that belief that, you know, like I say, Sandeep, I, I say, you know, you can walk to the edge of that cliff, but if you don't know what, if you jump that, you know, if you don't see a net, you'll never jump. But if you know that you're the net, you'll jump every single time because you know, you'll be okay. And then the whole world opens up for you. Now you've jumped and you're in this space that's new. It's full of possibility. You get to choose again. But that takes a level of courage and the courage that comes from that grounding. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, this, this idea. And I, I mean, I, I believe that there are, of course, a lot of problems with technology being a tool to really overwhelm emotional growth for children, especially who don't have a context of physical interaction with um, things. Yeah. But at the same time, do you feel, I mean, there's also flip side because they don't know any difference. There is. So if they don't know any difference, so you and I grew up where we would actually go for a sleepover or we would play sport or games, which were more physical. And we could come back from school where someone say maybe bullied us and we could maybe not talk to our parents, but someone else would say, you know, what's why are you looking down? But now everything is moved online. But I'm just thinking, like, can it all be bad? Because if these kids have no other framework, um, is it just a different model that we aren't used to and therefore we kind of think it's bad? Or is it really a lonely place for them? I mean, I don't think anything is all bad, you know? Mm. I mean, I think, you know, from a technology perspective, obviously there are clearly benefits for all this technology. If we didn't have this technology, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah. Um, so I think there, I think it's everything in moderation and balance. How do we balance this online um, lifestyle mm. with the other parts that are necessary to have full and deep and healthy relationships? You know, we can't be all one thing all the time. Even before we had technology, we had the telephone. You yeah. know, we would talk to people on the telephone. And yeah. Um, yeah. so I think, you know, I, you know, Sandeep, I'm a communications professional. So I've been doing um, like marketing and internal corporate external communications for all of my career. And mm. what I know is that, you know, everybody learns and processes information and relationships differently. Some people need to actually do things with another person to get a sense of who they are. Some people need to hear them. Some people need to see them. Sometimes we need to be online. Sometimes we need to be together in person. You know, one of the things I know from just communications methodology in general is that nothing, no matter how much technology we have, nothing will trump being in person together. Mm -hmm. And so it's my hope that at some point, you know, I mean, COVID has not been helpful, but I do think like, if you look at what's happening, even with some of the younger professional generations, people coming out of school, colleges right now, 
they want to go into the office. They yeah. don't want to be high. They don't want to be remote. They want to go in and have those social connections. They want to go in and be actually. So I do think, again, there's a part of us that is really hardwired for that, that we're never not going to have the compulsion to be together. Um, but, and so I think it's finding a balance. I think, and, and you know, the, and the other thing that I think is going to be really fascinating is when, what happens when the next big thing comes, Yeah. right? We, we don't even know what that is, but you know, is it robots? Now we're dealing with robots. How does mm. that affect yeah. us? You know, my husband's been making me watch three seasons of Lost in Space. So forgive me. I've got a little ah. bit of robot on my brain. <laughs> this is what we do for marriage. I just right? read a book by I just read a book by Neil Stevenson uh, called um, I think not. Uh, it's called um, not Terminal Shock. It's called uh, Termination Shock. It's basically. Um, yeah, it, 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 if you read it and you kind of put the put the book down and switch off the audiobook and you read the news, it's exactly the same thing. So it's not really futuristic. It's like there's right, yeah, right. So it's um, so it's know, like I don't like all the kids at school. So now I'm just going to be friends with the robot. You know what I mean? You know, so and so bully. So how is that? What is that? What is? What are the implications of that for our society? You know, as we're going forward. I mean, I think these younger people you know, are going to have to really negotiate like what all that means for them and how they engage and form social communities and, you know, fulfill that biological impulse inside of them. Because at the end, like I wonder, it's like at the end of the day, there's like one large big explosion and we all go back to the beginning where we're just all together, yeah. like in the rocks, you know, hunting and gathering for food and i'm like people building you know and you come up to me you're like do you, do you have my iphone charger and i'm like no. <laughs> and you're like what ask the robot that we've yeah. got locked in the uh in the cave you know? <laughs> but it's just yeah it's it's crazy you know, it's what crazy. i find um the most under attack right now like you know you hear all these inspirational slash motivational self slash self-help kind of thing and of course there's a lot of good to be learned or understood from it. But a lot of these things be the best version of yourself, uh, add more positive things into you. And all these things, of course, are also in moderation, I think are good because there's this sense of hopelessness because there are a lot of people who read all these books, they read every book, they listen to every podcast, they listen to every kind of person out there who's telling them that you can be the best uh, version, you can be positive, you can be happy. You, and then they go, but not, nothing works. And, and then I realized something which is, uh, extremely i think no first of all no one wants i think bad shit to happen to them right they don't want um when you tell them oh you know challenges are good they're like oh shut up challenges suck when rejection happens it's the worst feeling when someone passes an insulting comment it's the worst thing. but when you are feeling down when you're feeling alone when you're feeling bored all these things which are so-called not good for us or which phones take away from us um I've at least benefited in hindsight, right? Uh, because when everything goes my way and I just have a click, click, click success rate, one thing after another working out, it makes me take a step back going, wait, something's not right. It's too easy. And I'm not saying that easy is bad, but it just sort of makes me a little suspicious of why things are so easy. And I don't know if that's a flawed nature, but the biggest thing for me, and I'd like you to talk about it because I think it really associates strongly with the letting go aspect is when all these things happen, whether it's AI, whether it's social media, whether it's a smartphone, what it does is that it's all attacking the mind. And when you 
uh, see, first of all, I feel there's something I spoke to a friend about the other day is that uh, a mind, the mind, your mind is your tool and you use that mind to control or to, to kind of navigate the world. But it's almost like the mind is already controlling you and now the phone slash AI is going to control the mind. So it's kind of working the other way. And when you have something like a concept like letting go, which actually you put to effect in your life, it is so hard, but it gives you that strength and belief in the fact that I've got these 30 things that I've accum accumulated in my life, like say my college degrees, my learning, my subjects, my skills, my friendships, my way to understand things. But as, and this is something that helped me. So I'm just asking you what your experience with it is with other people is once you start shedding those layers and I call it for me, I call it unlearning things and the way I used to live my life. It just sort of gives you more and more kind of like space in your memory bank to say, wait, what, 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 I can do things which I want to do, not, not because people say I should, but because I really want to. So how does that process, because you, you, you really are in it deep. Um, what does it do to the mind? Let's, let's maybe call it that. What, what is this process big when it, when it starts happening? Um, d number one, does it even strengthen the mind? And what are the, the, what are the initial kind? I don't know. As I told you, I don't have a question for this. I was just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> I, you are definitely keeping me on my toes. Can you remember that it's 818 here? We're, we're not near beer time at all. Over here. Okay. Oh, you can let so it go. You can all, let that one go. <laughs> I'm letting go. So first of all, I mean, I love the idea that you touched on of creating space in our lives, because if there's two cars in the garage, there's no room for another one. So one of the one of the cars has to go. But right? we are being taught, uh, right, Jill, that make a bigger garage, right? Is that some of the narrative that we've been forced to? Learn? Right. Well, yeah. yes. And then one day you wake up and you have eight hundred thousand cars, and you're still like, "Oh my, I'm still sad." Yeah. Like I'm still sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you got to wake up one no day fuel. and say, like, yeah. maybe, maybe it's not the cars that are the <laughs> yeah. things that I'm missing, yeah. right? Um, and I think you know the way the letting go process engages your mind is that it actually has you like engage with your mind. Mm. It has you, you know, you're no longer just numbly moving through or letting go in a subconscious way. Like the process that I talk about in my book is the actual one that I went through. And I go through all the time when I am making life decisions because it makes so much sense to me, but it forces me to stop and think, actually think about what I am doing actually forces me to think about, oh my God, this is really hard. It, it, it has me start with an epiphany that there something is changing or has to change. And here are all the consequences of that, many of which are hard mm. and don't feel good. And then the second step of the, pro I'll just take you through the second step is sitting in that. It's not saying, okay, I'm just going to race on to the next thing so I don't have to think or feel how I feel about the consequences of this action, this change. Yeah. I'm just going to sit inside of this change now and process it. Think about it. Feel feel bad. I'm going to cry and get snotty and eat cookies in the bathroom. Yeah. I'm going to think like back to the mean girls in high school who I hated, who hurt my feelings. Like I'm going to go there. I'm just going to indulge myself in all those horrible feelings because if I don't, they're never going to go away. And then I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to say, and this sounds really trite, but it's true. What can I take away from that experience that will serve me going forward? And, mm -hmm. and I will stop blaming 
the other parties, the other parties yeah, involved, because yeah. it's never about them. They're just triggers and teachers. It's like, what about that relationship staying somewhere for 12 years? What did I learn from that? What did that person teach me that I needed to take away so that I can do better the next time? And then the third thing that comes after that period of sitting in that after space of that epiphany and just having all the feels is what do I want? What do I want? What is the next thing that I want? We don't have to know what we want forever till the end of the time for our entire life because we're going to change. But what is the next thing that I want? And what am I looking for in love and relationship and my job and my friendship and my family or my own health, whatever it is that we are struggling with that we, we're here and we want to get here. And there's all these things in the way that we have to let go of. So what do I want? And then what can I do? What are some really easy things to start making progress towards that goal? And then once I'm doing that, what else do I need to let go of? So if I'm, if I'm ending a relationship hmm. and I'm trying to move forward, maybe I need to let go of that limiting belief that got me to that relationship, stuck in that relationship in the first place. Maybe I need to let go of some of the friendships that are connected mm. to that relationship because they're hard for me, not because they're bad, but it's okay. It's not weakness to say, I love this person, but you know what? They remind me of X and that's not good for me right now. So I'm going and to it, release that. And can it be temporary? You can always come back when you're stronger. Absolutely. Right? Of mm. course. Absolutely. Listen, as long as these things and people we have in our life are bringing us joy are bringing us fulfillment on some level are not siphoning away from us esteem or energy or all the things that we need to be healthy and whole absolutely we can come back to them mm. nothing has to be permanent nothing is permanent like we don't even have a choice about that and then once we figure out all the other things that we need to let go of you know because we are acquiring limiting beliefs all the time when i let go of my relationship I left Chicago where I'd lived for 20 years because I knew if I stayed, it would be too hard to go back. Yeah. I left all my friends. Familiarity, I yeah. Left, yeah. And so I just picked up and moved and started my life over. And you don't have to do that. And you don't, don't always have to let go of relationships holistically. Maybe there's something inside of a, a good relationship that's really hard that keeps getting in your way. That's the thing that you, you need to let go of. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's an idea that convention has told you you need to have that is not serving you. Mm. Maybe it's a limiting, a new limiting belief. When I started dating again, I thought, oh God, like, am I too old to find love now? Like that yeah. wasn't a limiting belief I had back when I started dating my ex. So we're constantly having to deal with those things. But if we can stop and recognize that we're having this epiphany moment where we get to choose what comes next and that we do have an opportunity to process that live inside of that feel bad about it i would never tell anyone who's letting go of something because even if that even if we're letting go of something in a way that's benefiting us at one time this thing we are letting go of had value for us we're going to have a feeling about it i would never say, oh, you need to think positive. No, I say, call me because I hate to see anybody cry alone. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Like, <laughs> let's get into the muck. Let's do this, you know? Yeah. And because that is so, and sometimes even when you get to like, like I've been married to my wonderful husband for 16 years. Oh, congratulations. You know what? That's lovely. Thank you. And you know what? Sometimes I still feel sad. 
I still, mm. every once in a while, I feel sad about the fact that I, that person meant so much to me and was in my life. And I feel, you know, melancholy about it. That's okay. That's we're humans. That's all part of our experience of being here. And we need to be open and available for it without letting it take us down. And the way we do that is by cultivating that big, wild love. That is the ground under our feet. I know I keep saying it. It's not a marketing message. I fully believe it. And if something is happening to me in my life that is putting me off kilter, I had a friend, a very longtime friend, for whatever reason, has not spoken to me for a while. And every time I feel badly about that, I remind myself, it's okay. I know who I am. It's okay. Not every relationship is meant to be all the way through. It's okay. That's beautifully said. Now, what I get is, of course, you know, there's this whole journey when you start looking within, which is so deep, which is so scary, it's hard, so difficult to start, right? It's hard because there's everything that you've been taught is 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 kind of now up for. Um, you know, your, your, your kind of the most honest conversation, which you don't have. And you sometimes brush it under the carpet. And sometimes there's so many layers beyond layers and behind and under layers. And when you open one, uh, when you look at one, you're like, wait a second, I didn't even know this was an issue. Right. And well, that always happens. That's, always and that's happens. why we avoid it. That's why we avoid, we avoid it. Because it, it's hard. We don't want to see that. Yeah. But, but, but what I don't get is, I mean, I get it, but what I'm trying to sort of understand is, you know, you make these little baby steps in these kind of situations, right? Like, uh, it's it's not like, whoa, overnight, you're a new person. It's it's small, no. maybe issue by issue, or it's certain aspects of yourself, or certain perspectives that you've harbored, or certain ways you look at the world, or certain ways you look at people, or certain ways you process thoughts, and everything is you, and it becomes you, and it's, it's your right to who you are. But yeah, okay, you, as you said, when you let go, you let go of maybe ideas, people, habits, activities, or certain things. But it's almost like, does it come back to haunt you? Because you almost are so hard on yourself when certain earlier things that you let go come back in your life. Uh, have you experienced that? Or have you experienced people who've experienced that? Absolutely. Hmm. You know, especially when it comes to the bad talk track that we give ourselves, the, the mm. limiting beliefs that we have. But if you have an awareness, if you have an awareness of those things, and I'll, I'll give you an example. And that's the one thing that I have learned from all of my work in letting go. Um, so I was raised, you know, I had very loving parents. My mother was a wonderful mother, but she was very hard on me in terms of how I looked. She mm. wanted me to be skinny and I wasn't. And so, and this is a very common story for a lot of women mm. is that we were, you know, raised to be, you know, it's very important to be thin. It was very important to be pretty. And, you know, when you're raised with that from a very young age, it's, it's hard to shake and it really chips away at your esteem. And so, you know, I've done all that work over the years. And when I was invited to give the TED talk, mm. I worked with a coach who said, what is the first thing that you what is most scary to you about giving this talk? And I said, I didn't even have to skip a beat, Sandeep. I didn't even have to think about it. I didn't, I, I, I had no fear of getting on a stage in front of a camera and doing all these things. I said, I, 
I don't want people to think I'm unattractive or fat. Mm. And she started to laugh. Her laugh kind of took the charge out of it for me, made it Mm. less important, made it smaller, which was good. But the reason, but the thing that I'm saying to you is knowing that about myself, I was able to say, okay, I have this thing. It's not true. It was something that somebody else gave to me. I'm going to pick it up and put it over here for now. I'm not going to let it get in the way of my doing what I want to do in life. That is the awareness. That is the awareness when you do the work of big wild love to understand those beliefs that are driving you. That hasn't always been the case. There have been lots of times where I haven't done certain things because I thought I'm not going to look good Mm. or I better stay in this relationship because I'm not perfect. I don't look perfect. I'm not skinny. So I'm lucky to have this guy because he's okay with that. And so I wasn't looking at that. So when we understand those beliefs, when, when new situations in life come to us, a lot of times those beliefs especially will come creeping back in to go to your question. They'll come right back up to the surface. But now if we know about them, if we know that, you know, there's a risk of, you know, old wounds or old relationships or things, old boyfriends or girlfriends have told us about ourselves. We can say, no, no, not today. Mm. I see you. You can't come back in. I know you're not true. And I'm going to put you back in your box. It's awareness. And it's also, I feel you said, I think it's really well highlighted is that we all, um, as a human being or as a person let's say uh we kind of are conditioned to have and that's maybe something that's what uh, brought up the name conversation at the beginning is there are a couple of things that we are sold into believing that identify us whether it's our physical appearance or rather uh, sometimes could be the negative aspect of that whether it's our weight or our lack of height or our complexion or maybe a physical right. disability or maybe a physical uh, a physical whatever it may be right like a mark that distinguishes you from someone else or it could be a certain uh, I mean, the, the positives always like oh you know it's it's the, and the positives always are something that we, we we don't really harp on like oh yeah he's great or she's great at sport or she's beautiful or but it's it's almost like those things whether it's good or bad, whether it's, it's it's a good trait or a bad trait, I mean, that's what they call it, good or bad. I'm not saying I agree with that. But it seems to be those things that people kind of use. And I don't know if it's good or bad friends or good or close or distant friends, but it seems like that is your calling card, if you want to call it, uh, for relationships. So people will, it could be a thing, right? it could be, a habit or it could be the way you talk or it could be i mean as i said it could be a physical trait it could be a behavioral trait that people just hold on to and that kind of how much ever you want to let go of that and say you know i'm more complex i'm more diverse in i mean rather I'm more complex when it comes to things I, i'm not just this one person whether it's a person who's oversized or a person overweight or a person who's visually impaired but it's almost like those relationships come to say no 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 don't this is your place in life. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Well, I mean, that's like our personal brand, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind and of what we're And now we're told to about. celebrate it, right? Like, be the blind comedian in my case. or it's, And I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Have, like, think yeah. think about yeah. how you, you know, like, I mean, when I read your, your note, I was like, wow. I mean, I'm impressed by this guy. You know, like, that is an amazing story. And But I really fought, having... you know, Jill, I fought that brand. I did Because people are like, oh, you're, you're stupid right. not to milk it for what it's worth. Have that card. You can be... You know, I, I would do it as a joke saying, you know, India's only visually impaired comedian who wears tight jeans. That was sort of as a joke, but people are like, really? You're the only one? I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, dude. Like, <laughs> but, right. But it's it's but, so important now to be celebrated for that one aspect. Oh, you're, um, you're, you know, it's whatever. It's the entry you're... in. It's the entry in. But does I find you whether okay whether say you're the most beautiful boy in your school uh, and every girl is after you or whatever it may be right whatever that one or two traits that people hook onto but isn't that so confining? Well, I mean, yes. Mm. I mean, of course it is. Like you know, if especially if it's, I mean, I feel like you're talking about kind of like labels now. Like yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't want to be we don't want to be labeled. None of us want to be labeled. But, but you know, we, even by our friends. Well, sure, maybe we are, mm. but but we don't have to choose people who treat us according to that label. People, I wouldn't say something as harsh as label, but I would say even like traits, right? For instance, you're expected to display and those traits and behave in a certain yes. way, which they are comfortable with, which they can right. use to sort of suit their narrative. So if you are uh, right. doing something wrong, they can, they can be, oh, you know, no, no, don't do that. I'm your friend. I'll, I'll help you. I'll save you from your trouble. Or if it's good, right. then people are, look at that guy. He's my friend. He can, he can be the life of the party. I'm saying whatever it may be. But the question may be, I think, I, it took me some time to get to the question. The question may be like, these traits, let's not go as far as labels, even if it's good, Sometimes isn't a good trait also good to let go of? I mean, I think, it, you know, I think um, if it's not suiting you, if it doesn't feel mm. right for you, if it doesn't feel true for you anymore, I think, again, I, I mean, I don't care what, how other people, like if someone wants to label me a certain way or, or ascribe me a trait yeah. that is not, that, that is not, um, that is not really truly who I am and yeah. they, and they want to like, push at me about it. That's not a person for me. If someone wants to come at me and say, one of the reasons I love you is because you're so funny and you're so, you're such a good friend. Like, yeah. um, and yes, you're confused. Like you forget things, but you know, okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I love that about you. Like, I don't expect you, you know, that's, that's okay. But I mean, I think, I think it's okay for us to change. It's okay yeah. for us to be this, this way. I mean, you know, Sandeep, the, the fact of the matter is I have met no one who has not been in some ways really changed by the past three years with COVID. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that's what we're here for. So if someone wants to put us in a certain box based on our traits and that's okay for us and that serves us and that suits us and it's okay to have a relationship with that person, whatever kind it is, great. But if someone starts to come at us with a narrative they've created for us that's not true and is not feeling right then it's okay to say i wish you well but this is just not working anymore and move forward and so but yes I, to your question yes i do think people think of us in certain ways like we build people think of you know they think of when my friends think of me they think i know they think of you know funny big personality you know all out there talkative um 
creative, like, but they might also, you know, think of me in other not so positive ways. Mm. I certainly, of course, can't think of any of those things right off the top of my head. But, you know, again, <laughs> that might be, that's probably one of them. Yeah. So, you know, we're, none of us are all good or all bad. Um, and so, but we have little bits of all of it and it's okay to change. And if other people want to, you know, ascribe us those traits into perpetuity, okay, but we can't control that. We, we can't mm. control that. And that's, and that's the important thing is we can't control it. It's not our job to control it. It's just our job to say, and again, not in a super selfish way, but you know what? I just don't feel like this is right for me now in my life. And so I wish you well, I'm going to take a step back and maybe that step back is forever. And maybe it's not, I don't know. I have to let life unfold. I just know what's, what's here for me today. No, it's beautifully said, I think, because, you know, there's this whole idea that change has to only be positive, but I feel as the human experience grows with age or whatever, the thing that takes us towards that final destination is, I don't know, we kind of, and this is not a question, it's more maybe not even an observation, but it's kind of a thought that keeps me, um, I wouldn't say keeps me up at night. I, it keeps me interested to understand when, because we're almost told like the prescribed way to live life is these 10 boxes, right? You do these things, you're at a certain age, you get to this particular benchmark. But is it, um, I, I feel for me, this is what works for me, or maybe not, maybe it's something that might not work. But it's okay to let go even if things are good, let go of even the positives and the negatives, because it, when you kind of get to a good place, there's this tendency that, you know what, I was swimming along and there came a rock and now I can settle down on the rock because it's less tiring to move to the next rock or move down the river who move down whatever the analogy is. Because whether it's good for change or human growth, I just feel it's more fulfilling for the experience, because I'm right now stuck in a, say, a comfort zone, if you want to call it. Like when I say comfort zone, maybe physically, right? I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about paying rent. I'm living with my parents. and But it's almost like there's another avenue opened up where I have to think of letting go of certain other things or letting go of control or letting go. And I feel we, 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 this thing you told me earlier is so appropriate because letting go leads to more letting go. And I think that's more, that's sort of before winding up, I wanted, I wanted your thoughts on that because the human experience is so uh, beautifully undefined if we let it be. But what we try to do is the moment something goes right, like I'm sure you've experienced people who come to you when things are wrong and go, ah, can you help me let go? And when things, once they let go, things work out, you're like, they, they're like, oh, I just, I'd like to be here. It's a safe place, you know, but wouldn't that be more evolving for them if they just continue to let go? It never ends. And I, I will share this analogy with you. Yeah. <clears throat> letting go creates change. Yeah. That's at the heart of letting go. Mm. And I liken it to we're in a house and we decide this house that we've lived in is no longer right for us. We're too comfortable. We're too stagnant. There's things outside we mm. want to go for. So we, we open the window and we start to climb out of the house through the window. Yeah. But at a certain point, we've got one leg out and one leg in. Mm. And it is super uncomfortable. We're like yeah. in the windowsill. We're just stuck there. And now we're like, oh my God, do I go back in or do mm. I keep going out? Mm. If you choose to go back in, then that choice is I'm not going to let go. I'm going to continue to hold on, but I'm also going to continue to feel those feelings of dissatisfaction that, that forced me to open the window in the first place. Yeah. If I step out now, I'm in an open field. 
that is full of possibility, but it's also full of a lot of unknown things. Yeah. And going to those unknown things are going to force me to keep letting go. I'm going to have to let go of fear. I'm going to have to let go of the expert's mind. I don't know things anymore. I'm back in beginner's mind. I'm going to have to let go potentially of parts of myself that were attached to that house. I'm going to have to let go of new beliefs. Like, oh my gosh, maybe I made a mistake. Now I need to let go of that. There's all kinds of things where now a great opportunity comes to me and now I have to let go of the belief that I'm not worthy of it. You know, we're, we're constantly letting go. If, even if we sit in a room by ourselves for years, we're still going to come upon thoughts and ideas that we're going to have to let go. There is no way around it. I say it's like a tunnel of pain. You know, you want to, you look at this tunnel and you know, if you go in this tunnel, it's dark and it's wet and there's rodents and you don't know if you're going to make it to it. You can't see the light. So you're like, can I climb over the tunnel to get to the other side? Or can I run next to it? Or can I swim under it? No, the only way is through the tunnel. If you have the fortitude, the love, the understanding for yourself that grounds you, that says to you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. It's going to be painful. But I know you can do it because you got you. And you're going to get through that tunnel. And yeah, you may lose some things along the way. But when you get to the other side, you're going to be just fine. That's your big wild love. Yeah. yeah, And stronger for it. And if you have that, you'll come out of that house. You'll, you'll, you'll sit inside that discomfort and you'll feel it. And then you'll get out of that house because once you have that big wild love, letting go becomes very instinctive. Going through that process that I outlined is not hard. It just requires things from you that you're ready to give. It's about safety. It's about safety. Big wild love. Loving and understanding yourself gives you the safety that you need to take the risks that come with letting go because you know that you'll be okay because you have you. That's fantastically said. Now, thank you. Um, because it's so, it's so easy to get drawn into this entire thing about I'm stressed and best version of myself, think only positive thoughts. But these are the real things that you feel. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's like, my God, yeah. the letting go of the familiar environment, everything's comfortable, right. like three meals a day or whatever it may be. This person is the person I went to high school with or I went to work with and we've been childhood sweethearts, we're work colleagues, whatever. Just looking out going, oh, that's even an option to walk away from this is the most terrifying thing. But hearing stuff what, like what you just said, it's not easy, but man, it's, I'm telling you, I think from my little experience or experiences over the course of the past, you know, 32 years since, or 31 years since I got diagnosed with my condition is when things don't work out and I think that's when you grow. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And you put it across so well and you're helping so many people and uh, thank, you. thank you so much for joining me and sharing your perspective and your knowledge and your um, wisdom with everyone who's listening right now. And for people who want to go one step further and buy your book, can you tell them the name of the book and where they can get it and also how they can subscribe to your programs? Sure. And, and such a pleasure to be with your, be here with you. Truly, truly a pleasure. Um, you can find me at letgoforit.com. 
Mm -hmm. My book is called Big Wild Love, The Unstoppable Power of Letting Go. And it's on Amazon everywhere in the world. Love so, Now we put the links in the description. Get, yeah, and you can find it on my website. But this has been such a pleasure, a pl absolute pleasure. Um, I thank you so much for having me on your show. Lovely. And it's been likewise, Jill, it's been lovely talking to you and, you know, just sort of sharing perspectives and kind of resonating with our life experiences so um, means a lot you agreeing to do this and good luck with all your future plans future talks and um yeah and all your future letting go activities as well so i appreciate it thank you so much <laughs> thank you thank you Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.